Thank you all very much for joining us today. Fascinating discussion. Fascinating discussion. This uh, conversation, I think, is going to be a great primer for us this week to really think about what the bot is about and what's going to happen here in the coming months and years, especially as AI, do, uh, AI Day 2 is fast approaching. And for today, I have a great panel to discuss the amazingness of what could be TeslaBot. Please welcome in Bradford, Scott, John. Thank you all very much for joining. It's a pleasure. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, so yeah, well, I keep forgetting I have music on. Let me turn the stupid music off. I always do the music on for the beginning. I'm like, look at my production value. <laughs> and now I'm like, I forgot I had it on. Uh, so maybe the way we'll start is, um, what we'll do is, Bradford, we'll have you go first. This idea was really, uh, it, it originated from one of the Twitter spaces you hosted on, on Saturday around the Tesla bot and what it means to job creation and, uh, you know, other angles from that perspective. Uh, but before you even do that, if you don't mind, maybe give a 30 second introduction so that folks are familiar with you and your background. Um, and then as as people, as uh, say John and Scott, you guys start adding the, to the conversation for the first time, take 30 seconds to introduce yourselves and then we'll just allow the uh, conversation to flow from there. So I'll give the microphone to, Brad, to Bradford to set the stage for us and then we'll take it from there. Awesome, I'm Bradford Ferguson from Halter Ferguson Financial. I'm going to share my screen real brief. Um, I am a financial advisor. I do have a position in Tesla, so do my clients as of this date. Uh, I'm trying to share my screen. I want to share this one. And uh, here's our disclaimer. Um, I'm going to stop that. It's at uh, hffinancial.com slash disclaimer. And looking forward to the discussion today. Awesome. All right. Yes. Uh, and I'm Scott Walter. And um, I'm currently with a company called Visual Components. I've been with uh, simulation software for over 30 years. So my background is simulating robots in factories and understanding how they work and showing how they should work. Uh, so when I saw the Tesla bot, I was very intrigued because there were a lot of things in there that I saw were kind of needed for the future of manufacturing and been trying to reverse engineer what they're doing. And get an idea of how it's going to impact Tesla, uh, because uh, like Brad, I am also a Tesla shareholder, so I should get that out there. A little, little bit of a disclaimer, and uh, also an FSD driver. So, <laughs> and I am really pleased to be on, as you see, these pictures that are up here right now. Basically, this is what we call the Farzad Gallery. <laughs> Welcome to the gallery. Cool. John there you go. Us. Happy. Yeah, I guess as long as we're introducing ourselves here first. Uh, my name is John Gibbs. I teach at the University of Georgia and also president and CEO of Artomatic and Technologies. And I guess the way people probably know me is actually from the Dr. Know-It-All YouTube channel. So there you go. That's the <laughs> super compressed 15 second. Nice. Version. Nice. Uh, and I'm Farzad Misbahi. I have a YouTube channel. Okay. I guess, I guess people would know if it's a click on me. Uh, I think full disclosure, we all, I think we all are Tesla investors. Some of us have yes. FSD beta. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if all of us do, but some of us do. So, uh, but we're going to be as objective as humanly possible. We may have the tiniest bit of biases because I think all of us are, are relatively pro Tesla. But uh, the reason why I'm hosting this panel is because I think uh, the, the three gentlemen with me are, uh, I really enjoy the work they do and they can be very objective about thinking about the future, especially the implications of Tesla bot. So uh, again, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. And Bradford, let's uh, set the stage yeah. for us. Sure. So um, I decided to host a Twitter spaces on Saturday. Um, and people are talking about how 
the Tesla bot's going to destroy jobs and all these things. And I, I was like, okay, well, um, I think Tesla bot's going to create a lot of jobs um, for a long time. And maybe eventually uh, they'll figure out AI and general purpose and we'll all be out of a job and have to live off of the, the robot's kindness or whatever. But um, so I, I was thinking about this and not all my thoughts are original. Some come from the community. Um, but someone said to me, you know, maybe Tesla bot will actually be easier to figure out than autonomy. Um, what Tesla can do is um, it, autonomy has to work like anywhere in the United States. I live in the capital of roundabouts in Carmel, Indiana, and mm. it struggles in roundabouts right now. Uh, it was too conservative. Now it's too aggressive. Um, but hopefully with the next version, it be great. But anyways, um, what Tesla can do with the factory is they can limit the environment, um, limiting the corner cases. You don't have to worry about cars whizzing by at 55 miles an hour and potentially killing someone on a blind left, like Chuck's, uh, Chuck Cook's blind left. Uh, you can really control that environment. Um, you can actually, you know, maybe you could work with humans, but maybe they could decide to have the desk the Tesla bot in a room where there aren't humans because humans can create corner cases by doing things that are not expected. Um, so really what Tesla can do, the hard part is controlling the robot, which Boston Dynamics and others have shown uh, can be done. Um, Xiaomi had a demo very recently with the robot coming out on stage and handing a, a flower to the CEO. Um, and Tesla just has, has to figure out, okay, how do we incentivize the robot to do the behaviors in the factory and what do we have it focus on first? And um, I, I think Tesla's main problem right now is a shortage of labor. Um, they've been doing one shift of labor, um, one shift for Model S and X in Fremont for a long time. Um, the the floor plan for Giga Nevada was this huge area and they're only doing like a, I don't know, like a quarter of it that they're supposed to do. And they ran into a shortage of labor because like people don't want to live out in Reno, Nevada or not enough people. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're hiring for Giga Texas, they're hiring for Germany. But ultimately, let's say all the jobs that they hire for Giga Nevada from here on out are robots. You're going to need a lot of humans to support those robots. You're going to need people to train the robots. And so I was just thinking about all the jobs that could be created for a while. And it's like a big, massive problem. And I, I think ultimately when you have an economy that's not very efficient um, and you, you clean out the arteries, I kind of view the economy like an organism. If you can clean out the arteries and make them more healthy and move more efficiently, like the Tesla bot could do with the shortage of labor, help addressing that, then the organism can thrive uh, more than we imagine. Um, so, you know, we've been through various periods of high innovation. People thought that, you know, with certain farming equipment that, what do we do about all the farmers losing their jobs? And we went from 95% farmers to 5% or whatever now it might even be 2% in the U S mm -hmm. um, in the same problem with uh, 
wagon rights and blacksmiths when the automobile came out. Not all those people found jobs uh, with Henry Ford and others. Um, they, they found other work and you know, what technology, what technological innovation does for us is it, it solves major problems and then we, we can begin to dream about new problems and solve new problems and it raises our standard of living and all that. So I'll stop there for now. I got on far long enough, but uh, no, I appreciate that digging in with you all. Yeah. Uh, Scott or John, any, any sort of thoughts around what Bradford just uh, proposed? Any, anything that sparked your mind? Go for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah, the first thing I want to do is, is kind of dispel the, the myth that robots destroy jobs. That's uh, always been out there ever since the industrial robot first came. We go way back in time, all the way to the Jacquard loom and this idea that they were taking jobs away from people. And that's never been the case. It, it creates new jobs. There is a certain amount of job displacement. But you can remember there is a transition. It's not like it's, it's from one day to the next. And, you know, what, what Bradford said is that, you know, everyone says that, you know, they're going to destroy jobs. And, and the first question I wrote down there is like, well, what jobs are they going to destroy? Tell me what, what jobs are going to destroy. And no one can, can really point out to that because the actual fact of the matter is if you like talk to the American Welding Institute, they're going to tell you in the next five years, there's going to be a shortage of 500,000 welders. Where are they coming from? We're not destroying those jobs because those jobs just don't exist. The people aren't there because of attrition, because of retirement, because they can't backfill that fast enough, and because no one is really interested in going into that profession. So it's very, very hard, plus the fact more companies need welders. So it's outstripping the supply. So the only solution is that we have to offshore these things. There are plenty of people maybe overseas willing to do that, but that means we have to start doing our assembly over. And if we want to onshore, we need to bring this technology in there. It's, so it's not going to be destroying jobs. That is an absolute fallacy that you're going to see anything like that. It's basically doing the jobs that people don't want to do anyway. Uh, and that's what we're going to see. So if you want onshoring, if you want higher quality, which is another reason why you do robotics, is that it's very difficult to do the same mundane task again and again, day in and day out, day in and day out. So that's kind of my thoughts. I've got plenty of other thoughts, but I'll turn it over to John. Otherwise, I'll dominate the whole conversation as usual. <laughs> I, I want to oh, make Scott, I have quick. a mute button. Don't worry. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, good. Use it. Use it. I want to make one quick comment. Like, I think yeah. in order to dispel some fears, uh, Tesla is going to have it in their own factories for a long time. Right. Um, if you put these things out in the world, then you know, people can... Um, put all their fears on it and you start it in the factory and then you kind of go from there. Go ahead. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. I was actually just going to chime in because I happened to be watching a keynote that J.B. Straubel uh, gave, gosh, it was a few days ago, but anyway, I was watching it this morning and um, it's very interesting because he talks about the fact that they don't have enough labor. They don't have enough skilled labor. They don't have enough engineers in the right areas, but they also just don't have enough manual labor. And, and you know, the Reno factory that, that Tesla has is a really interesting uh, a case or whatever you want to call it because it's in a place that not enough people want to live. And Austin seems to be a hot place right now. I think Farsa is <laughs> literally hot right now. But, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very good place to live. But, you know, the next factory that they create, if it's in – I don't know, someplace in Tennessee or something, and not everybody wants to go there. You know, they're going to have labor shortages. So, yeah, you know, it's great 
to think about the fact that this could be taking jobs, but what it might be doing is filling in jobs that just simply aren't there right now. So I think that's a very useful way to think about it. Yeah, and, and the welding example I gave is just one industry. I mean, we know what's a million in trucking, right? Be a shortfall right. there, and you just keep on going down and down. All these different places where help wanted signs are out there, but no one's showing up. There's a yeah, there's a huge shortage of jobs, and uh, businesses are lowering their standards for uh, employees that they accept. So they they may accept people with drug problems or you know more of a criminal history and. Um, while those people deserve, you know, work, it's not necessarily ideal for the business. Um, so like uh, robots help with that. And yeah, go ahead. Farzad, yeah. did you Actually, so I'm going to, I kind of fall on the other side of the fence on this okay, issue. Let's hear it. Um, and so I, I definitely, so the standpoint that I come from is if there was a variable or a lever that companies can pull where they can have labor that's going to be um, twice faster than the average human at a fraction of the cost with zero HR overhead, who in theory could do all labor, all physical labor in the next say 10 to 20 years potentially, why would anybody work those jobs? So that's what I would like to like it. So, so what jobs would get created that the human will be able to transition to when all those jobs are gone. So how do we think about that? Well, I, I think we know it because every time you have these different generations, like, you know, immigrants that come in and they are doing you know, really hard jobs. And the whole idea is that they are trying to find a better life for their children to educate them going out there. And the first thing to tell their, their kids is don't do this, do that. You know, we want you to just to move up the economic ladder. So that's constantly there. And what we're seeing is that with the Tesla bot is, again, you're saying that this is not the career you want to go into. Find something different. Prepare for something a little bit different. And there's going to be a transition period there. So there's enough time to do it. And it's very clear there is a lot of, we were saying you know, on Saturday, the term low-hanging fruit. So the Tesla bot is going to be going after that low-hanging fruit very, very early on to get a foothold in there and start doing that. And then people are going to realize that, okay, uh, maybe I should be doing something else or I should be thinking of a career that's a little bit different. I, I have one example. Farzad, you want me to, to show the um, Optimus yeah, feeding the robots? Just so we have an idea of what we think Optimus will, will be doing yeah. there. So if I go ahead and yeah, my yeah. share over here. And, and, the and, share I'm going, the and, and the way and the way I'm going to approach this is I will I'd be asking a lot of questions. Uh, and that's and this is not to just put anybody on the spot. This is literally for yeah, me sir. to learn because I am on the other fence, on the other side of the mm -hmm. fence. So I. I'm really looking forward to the discussion here, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, we need a contrarian, no doubt about it. Okay, yeah. so I think you you can sort of see the, the idea here is that um, there's a world that the industrial robots currently live in. These are the orange robots over here. No humans are supposed to go in there, and the humans are basically outside, and there's an interface between the two. And so you, you have the situation where you need to feed products or material to the robot cell, and that's typically done by a human. And it's a very simple kind of task of just picking parts all day and dropping them in the right location, going over and doing that again and again and again. And I want to ask people out there, is that a career? That's not a career. You don't want to be doing that for 40 years. That might be like something you'd want to do in the summertime or just starting out to pay your bills. That is not a career. 
Scott, oh, this reminds would be, me of the, of, yeah. of the video with uh, Rivian where they showed the new factory for the like the first time. And there were these uh, carts that had like 10 door panels on them and they had humans moving those door panels onto the line. I was like, yes, oh, yes, on. yes. Now, a lot of that is done robotically now and most others, but that's because they're ramping up and trying to figure it out. So a lot of it can already be done by the industrial robots, but there's still aspects mm -hmm. where the humans go in and do those kinds of of, of functions. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you know, it's like feeding the lions at the zoo. <laughs> you need to make sure that you separate those two, the, the people from the robots, uh, so they don't injure one another. And of course, the one problem here is that we figured out how to do tasks, because in there are tasks that humans can do. They're welding tasks. Humans could be doing those tasks. The problem is the end of arm tooling that's been set up for those robots. You cannot just take them off the end of those robots and expect a human to go in and do it. So there's no way if one of those robots goes down, a human can go in and, and change place with it. Yeah. And at the same time, the operation that we're seeing Optimus is doing here, I just took what was our original human model and swapped out the Optimus model. So that was a human running around doing that. You can't have one of those orange robots come out there and do it for a variety of reasons. One, it just isn't capable of doing that. And second, you need to make sure it's behind the fencing just for safety reasons. The idea of Optimus is to be able to fill in and do the exact same task as a human. Not Let me to try to design an environment which is only for Optimus. Right. Let, let me riff off of that idea real quick, if, if you don't mind. So so the one statement you made, um, do you want me to leave this up, by the way? Was there something else that... Uh, it's it's up to you. I was, I was going to break okay. it down. Can you go ahead and stop yep. share for now? I can. It's yep. okay. I can remove yeah. it from my end. It's all good. Um, so the one thing you said is, so you showed that that role, which is a which is something that um, a human, correct me if I'm wrong, a human does today, but the bot would basically mm -hmm. step in to do that job, right? And the question you asked yes. was, nobody wants this as a career. I agree. I agree. Nobody wants this as a career. So the, the where my brain immediately goes to is in a world where uh, a lot of existing people are doing those jobs today. Like say, and let's layer in something as well, like like full self-driving as an example, which is not directly tied to the bot, but it's some sort of automation, right? And tied to the logistics and the semi truck and, and those things. Say in the next five to 10 years time, let's say Tesla is able to solve full self-driving for semi trailers. And they're starting to ramp these bots that are taking these repetitive, dangerous, boring, shouldn't be a career job for these people. What my brain goes to is, okay, I completely agree that there should be, uh, say, higher quality work or more rewarding work that's less repetitious and and more, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, it tests your brain. It, it gets a little bit more amped up than just doing the, the job all over and over and over again. But then, and I'm going to use my personal experience as, as sort of like the counter is I've seen, I went to college, uh, I graduated in 2009, and I've seen very many people that have tried to follow that next like the higher job that they were looking for. They don't just want to be like a barista or a Starbucks or a warehouse worker, right? And there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people in my age group that uh, are trying to get a bigger job, but they just don't exist in, in, in the current environment of automation. So they're, they're forced to be in those jobs. So, so what I go to is what are the mechanisms that exist after the bot and full self-driving takeover, as an example, for the people to be able to find those better careers and better jobs. And that's where my sort of like the job destroyer, job replacer mentality comes in, because I haven't seen any mechanism today that's going to allow people to step in and do something more rewarding. So how, how right. do you think about that standpoint? Yeah. And yeah, anybody else, feel free to jump in. Exactly. 
Uh, I'll sorry. I'll just jump in real quick. I mean, I'm I'm always looking at historical precedents. So pretty much every like major disruption, starting with the Industrial Revolution, that you, you see there are people who are displaced. And I think part of it, Scott and I have actually talked about this before. Part of this is a function of time too. If it takes full self-driving Tesla bot. 50 years to get good enough to replace human beings. I don't think that's the case, but if it takes that long, that's a couple of generations of workers and there will be some time for societal adjustment. I think the really big shocker is going to be if, uh, you know, if full self-driving gets solved, I really think the Tesla bot gets solved software wise because it's actually a simpler case. I think Bradford was just saying that earlier today was, you know, it's a simpler thing to do than full self-driving, which is really, really hard. Uh, so if you solve that and it it's done in five or seven or eight years, you know, say t by 2030, that doesn't allow time. I hope I didn't uh -oh. just die there. <laughs> yeah. Did you're I just back, cut out? Back. Yeah. You, okay. You held on time. So <laughs> there. there you go. Sorry. So anyway, <laughs> it doesn't allow time for people to transition from whatever they're doing right now that could be replaced by something like the Tesla bot or autonomous vehicles as well. I mean, drivers too, to a new career. It's, if you think about it, if it takes a really long time, the person who's in the old career is going to retire probably, and then the new person just won't come and take that job. But if it happens in five or 10 years, it's a whole different case. It's it's always been unimaginable in the past. Like, mm -hmm. Where are the farmer jobs going to go? What about the blacksmiths? Um, so I don't think the robot's going to happen like this. Uh, maybe the factory bot happens quicker than we think. Um, but, you know, go back to Giga Nevada, let's say it's producing, let's say Panasonic gets their business in gear and goes along with Tesla for the ride and suddenly it's four times as productive. Well, th those are robots in the factory. You need a bunch of activity to support that. So a bunch of tr trucking jobs and all kinds of other things going on. You need you need to repair the robots. Uh, Eventually, the robots will repair themselves, and uh, you know, maybe Tesla will design them that way so the robots can do that. But um, you need people to repair and maintain the robots. You need people to train the robots. And, and then you have, like, a ton of different use cases. Like, um, you know, the factory, I think, is easy because it's simple. But you think about firefighting uh, in the hills in California or something like that. That would be incredibly complex. And you would need somehow to help a robot be able to train on that and uh, to figure that out. Um, and probably thermal thermal vision would help too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, if we go back to examples where robots are already taking over, uh, going to the welding, you know, Optimus was not designed to do welding. There are already robots that are doing it and we still have a shortage of welders out there. You know, robots cannot do all the welds. They can do a lot of them. They do a lot of the very boring welds. So if you look at like a cruise ship, you're talking about miles and miles and miles of welds to do that. And the robots can do maybe 95% of them. And you probably want to both for quality and the fact that it's very boring. But there are a lot of welds that are very tricky and difficult to get access to. And it just doesn't, you, there is no um, return on investment to be able to come up with equipment to do some of these welds. And that's when you need the craftsman, artisan, welder to go in there and do that. And so now, suddenly, you're kind of excited to go to work every day because you're not talking about having to do miles and miles of weld. You're talking about having to go something where you're really appreciated and really required. And you're going to see a lot of that out there is that the robots are just replacing the boring stuff. And now you can move over to something else.
the the other problems you're seeing in labor shortages is that staffing is just very difficult. You, even if you can get the right staffing levels, a lot of times they just don't show up. And so certainly you're in crunch. And we've all seen it that, you know, you've gone to a restaurant or something like that. And certainly the manager is out there busting tables. What's that about? Well, that's because the manager, he's got to fill in wherever the labor shortage is at that point in order to keep the operation going. And so the same thing will happen to the factory floor. They're, they're trying to figure out what do we do? They're going to have to call someone else in uh, who's it's their day off or someone's going to have to stay on a second shift. You've got to start moving everything around. Now, Optimus gives you that flexibility. You can take what we were showing there of Optimus feeding the robots at the zoo. And there may be someone already doing it. And the reason he's doing it is because he's not doesn't have enough seniority to do another high-skilled job that he's already qualified to do. But suddenly now, all right, there's something going on here. We have to start moving everyone around. And suddenly he's not stuck in that boring job, gets to move up. So you may actually see that a lot of workers are able to transition and move through higher level jobs a little bit faster because the robots can now start taking over what are these boring, repetitive, mundane jobs, which is really what was Elon's target all along. And I've always seen it as an engineer. If I look at a job and I say, would I do that job? Would I be willing to sit there eight hours a day and do that job? If the answer is no, then we need to automate it. So so let me ask a question because maybe this is, I, maybe I'm not, um, maybe this is just my lack of knowledge. So wouldn't that uh, statement of there being more jobs already be true here if there's already a labor shortage, shortage, doesn't that imply that there is, the economy can hold more jobs, but for some reason they're not being created? So help, help me think through that. And like, and like, why would that change once those jobs are not being done by humans, but by bots instead? I think, well, first of all, there are, are plenty of jobs where we just need people. And we don't have them because they are already over here, a lack of resources in a sense. And if we can now take those people and start deploying them over into another location and training them up, then it allows us to be able to take those things on. And it's, it may mean as you see that there are jobs that really can only be done by humans, there's going to be more interest in actually training those people to do those. And there already is that out there. there people are constantly trying to incentivize people to go into a particular industry because the shortage is there, either to go to school or to get the certificate or do something. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that. What it will do is it, I think it will fr actually free up more resources to take on the more interesting challenges that could be done. And that's basically what happened with the agricultural revolution. What was it? Maybe 2% of the population at one point was not farmers. And those were the people who were the artists and, and the thinkers and everything else. So only 2% of the population could think about grand things and take on grand things. And, you know, the scientists at those times, they were all the nobility, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then suddenly when people did not have to be farmers, now more and more people could start taking on these roles that were really were very exclusive for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I, I see that is that you are able to free up resources. Um, okay. why, why should people have to do a lot of these jobs? Do you envision this being like, walk me through the, maybe like, obviously none of us are, you know, oracles, we can't see the future, but do you envision this being a smooth transit? And this is for the panel as well. Like, don't let Scott and I dominate the conversation here. But um, do you see this as being a, a smooth transition? What's the timescale? Is this 20, 50 years, 100 years? H have you thought about that? I'm curious to hear. Less than 50. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's not gonna be 100. Uh, the question is whether it's a decade. 
And then that's just all yeah, S curve. I think that's the big question. And and a lot of that, I really feel actually a lot of that's gonna be we're, we're gonna be given a really big hint on AI day number two. Because if if they've got an actual robot that's actually doing things already, that's a pretty solid indicator that they've made a lot, you know. <laughs> if if they have that if next year's or this year's version is the same as last year where they have a person in a costume dressed up and dancing, it's like, well, okay, that's one thing. But to actually have a real robot that can even just walk around and you know, give a flower to Elon Musk, or, you know, all of those basic tasks would mean that they're really far along in this process. And, and we could be looking at a decade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bradford, what I, do you think? Uh, yeah. Bradford's mooted. <laughs> yeah, I think what would be most exciting is, um, you know, not only seeing a, a robot uh, on the stage with Elon or whoever it is, but, um, you know, also seeing the robot doing things that aren't scripted to the T. Um, I'm curious if the Xiaomi, if it was like, you know, timed, you know, all that, like, it'd be cool to see the robot react to whoever they're reacting to. Um, I think it's going to be much less than five years for the factory bot to get started. Um, it, the important thing is for it to be able to be, to not be such a, detractor um, so that it's maybe it's slower than humans at first, but it can work 120 hours a week. Let's say it takes a while to be charged or it needs to be maintained. And then then Tesla expands that to all their factories where uh, regulations allow. And then after that, then they begin to sell the or lease the factory bot to other manufacturers. Um, and then it's going to go from there. I, um, you know, the home bot that Elon's talking about today, where you might buy it as a gift, uh, for your, your parents or something. Um, I think that's a long ways away because, um, yeah. It says I can read this real in the quick. future, um, uh, I'll go for in it, the yeah. Future, yeah, in the future, a home robot may be cheaper than a car. Elon says perhaps. Uh, in less than a decade, people will be able to buy a robot for their parents as a birthday gift. Um, you, you think about how hard autonomy is, um, you know, programming it for the home and um, reacting to humans in a, in a way that's delightful um, for people to have is going to be very difficult. Um, so I, I think it's going to start with industrial things first and then maybe dangerous tasks like figure out some way for the robot to be helpful with um, fire stations in the cities uh, where it can go in a building and look for living people, help the people first, and then put out the fire, things like that. Um, so I, I think like the home robot is like, I have a hard time thinking 10 years out. I think it's further. Um, I feel like Elon is casting a big vision to recruit. AI day is about recruiting, always be recruiting at Tesla events. So um, that's what I think Elon's talking about the home, but I think Elon's also talking about the home robot because he um, wants to take away some of the stigma or the fears about it. Right. Um, can I, I'll I'll just, can I add two that. things to that? Yeah, sure. I think the one thing is that the specs of the robot and Elon was very careful about this last year at AI day number one, 
when he's like, it's small, it's light, it can't go fast, it can't pick up anything super heavy, you know, so it's not going to pick up a car and throw it at you or something, right? It, I think that number one is just regulatory wise, right? We have to, it, uh, as Scott talks about the, the real big robots, they have to be inside cages because humans aren't allowed to interact with them. And so to have a robot that's weak, <laughs> weak enough that a human being can interact with it in a non-dangerous way is really, really important. So I think that's important to what you're talking about too. The other piece of this that people haven't really talked about yet is I think it's actually ingenious to make it just have a screen for a face because uh, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, it's like my iPhone, <laughs> you know, it's like anything can be on there. So as opposed to building eyes and a nose and all that stuff, which could be creepy looking and, and is also locked in place, you have the ability to, it could have, you know, an Amber Alert could come up and it could be like, hey, look out for a car that's got this license plate or a smiley face or, you know, something that says like sarcasm inside little quotes, you know, if it does something, right? So it, it's a much more flexible interface in interface. <laughs> but, you know, it's got this much, much more flexible. Oh, face. I get it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> interface. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> but anyway, I think I think people haven't talked about this enough. And I actually hope that they that they show a little bit of that at AI day. I think that'll be really cool. And it would help to off, you know, it, it offset some people's fears. I think if you had this like nice, happy kind of anime, you know, happy eyes, big smile, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There was one I, I think just uh, to follow up one, what, what, one, yeah. one thing is that we have a template of what this is all like, and it's basically, it's future shock all over again. And that remember what the internet did, the internet was very disruptive and we all kind of forget that. And there were a lot of people that suddenly had to be retrained and everything else. So if you look back at that, that is what Tesla bot is basically going to do. Right. Do you remember? Do you remember? I remember purchasing things on the Internet in like 95 or 96. And everyone said, you're crazy. Your entire life savings is going to be taken and all this. You know, now who goes to retail stores? You know, brick and mortar stores anymore. So <laughs> it was very disruptive 30 years ago ish. The, the fears for financial advisors was um, the Internet. Uh, gives access to free information. So why would anyone need an advisor? Um, but like, it's now we have too much information <laughs> and people yeah. need help. That's uh, why you need an advisor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the internet example is actually pretty interesting because the, the way I view the internet, it's, it's, it was, it's a tool that allows a commerce to be done much quicker and, uh, without the human having to leave home. So I, I can understand, like, it's very intuitive for me to understand why uh, the internet could really allow way more uh, people to be able to just have jobs and for more things to be produced because you're, you're removing a lot of inefficiency out of the system. You don't have to get out of your house and go to a place and then bring the thing back. You can just go online, click, 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 or you can do a blog, or you can do, you can do whatever. It really removes a lot of inefficiencies. We can do, so we can do this, for example. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this exactly. is pretty remarkable. I mean, we're in multiple yeah. different places having a conversation online. That's very cool. Yeah. And so I, I understand, I definitely understand that. So the bot in, in a way also removes a lot of, I think Bradford, you were alluding to this a little earlier, a lot of inefficiencies out of the system as well, you know, by having labor that exists, that is, um, it's basically a supplement or a creator for tasks that a human wouldn't be able to do. Uh, I think, and I'm still kind of formulating through my head with all the information you guys gave me. It's like, okay, but does that still imply that it's a net creator, not a net remover, right? So I'm still well, thinking through that. Yeah, okay. maybe tw maybe 20 years down the road and we get all this AI and 
it ends up taking away a bunch of jobs, but there's going to be a lot of creation in between then. Right. Um, in the beginning, for sure. Yeah. There is one line actually that from this statement that made it, I can envision that more. And we've had a lot of discussions in the Tesla community around, is Tesla going to make these bots into a fleet where you can lease it? Can you actually buy it? The fact that Elon explicitly said that people will be able to buy a robot for their parents as a birthday gift tells me that Tesla is actually very well planning on selling these units to individuals or companies instead of uh, hoarding the labor and uh, leasing it out to companies and individuals, which was a concern of mine. Because I'm like, okay, so you're telling me in the future there's going to be a single source of labor creation now? So Tesla's just gonna monopolize labor? So I was happy to see <laughs> that people can actually buy the robots. How, how do you guys think about that? Uh, did that sort of spark any thoughts in y'all? Because that that's really yeah, gave me a lot of peace of mind. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great way for Tesla to uh, alleviate monopoly fears is, oh, you can, you can buy a robot or lease it. Here's 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 the value we're getting from our bot. If you give us at least that amount of value, then you can have a bot yourself. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I I um I think about training. So Farzad, if you remember training at Tesla, and you you train someone, you train people at the warehouse. Training is very inefficient. When you're in a, let's say you're in a small business and you have to train someone, literally you have to spend like a third of your time uh, training them, especially if it's on a complex task. Um, so a long time of uh, training these robots is going to take more labor, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily going to be efficient at first. It's going to create yeah. value, but it's going to need more humans. But once you train one, you train all, right? Yeah, that's, that's the, beauty the big behind difference. It. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that, and I, that, I think that's the right. other the other piece of this is at the beginning, it's probably going to be very highly scripted. You know, kind of what Scott showed us in that little animation. It'll be like walk here, pick up this piece, move here, put this piece in in this orientation. You know, relatively like current robots are right now. But over time, assuming that the AI is not that it's a general AI and not that it has consciousness or anything like that, but it becomes sophisticated enough that you can just say to the robot, pick up that piece of sheet metal, feed the machine, you know, and contact me after you've put a hundred of these things in or something like that. And it figures it out. You don't have to tell it how to do it. That will be a really big jump in capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. I, Scott, I, you I were think the one, one thing we have to look at, yeah, the, the one thing we have to look in that, that statement that Elon made is he said, perhaps. So that's always his wiggle room that, you know, <laughs> perhaps in a decade. I, I agree with him that the cost will go down. And the other thing I've always been trying to think of, of what is the business case that, that Tesla is doing here? So, um, you know, as a shareholder, I am not really interested in subsidizing Elon's robots for Mars. You know, that's as a, you know, if looking at as a shareholder. As an individual, yeah, I love the idea. But if you're as a shareholder, you're thinking there's got to be something in it for Tesla. There's got to be some other motivating reason. And, and the board and others probably would not have allowed him to proceed unless there was. So there needs to be a payback. And the other thing is there already is precedence in automotive industry to developing robots. I mean, if you go way back, uh, GM had a, a group called GMR, General Motors Research, that developed a robot that's now actually part of the, of the FANUC um, catalog, the, the P-150 painting robot. VW made their own robots 
Uh, Renault also through ACMA, Fiat through its Kamau group. Kawasaki still does today. They make robots for their own use and also to sell outside. So a lot of these companies do that because they're looking to solve automation problems. And I think Tesla looked at it and said, we've got an automation problem. How can we solve it with the expertise we have? And they came up with it. And as you know, and Farsad, I think you probably agree that, you know, ROI, return on investment is king, uh, which is appropriate because ROI or ROI is king in French. And so you, you have to justify that whatever it is you're doing is going to have some sort of payback. And when I look at Tesla, they never look at a payback that's going to be 10 years. Yes, there may be like a huge payback in 10 years, but they're looking usually that within 18 months to two years, it's already starting to show some sort of benefits. Six months. Gonna, yes, could be even more than that. You probably have a Sometimes better idea. An outside observer, yeah. <laughs> it's a short time scale compared to everyone else. A lot yes. of other companies, it's like it's a decadal kind of thing that they're going through. Um, so it's not going to come from the sale of the robots, but it's going to come from the usage. For sure. And how it's able to go in and improve things in the throughput of the, of the plants. So yeah. if they can get more going out at a higher quality without disruptions, because a lot of times, you know, the human is the wild card in all those things. And yeah. if they're a little bit slow that day, if they don't show up, all sorts of things, suddenly production can slow down. One person can shut the whole line down really quickly. And then you have to go back and start it up again. So if you can get something in there, which you know is reliable and that the cycle time is spot on again and again and again, uh, that's going to just help the bottom line. A hundred percent. Yeah. And just FYI, Bradford, I muted you because there was echo on your side. I'm not muting you because I dislike you. I promise there was echo. Okay. I love you. <laughs> Uh, but that's a, that's a hundred percent. I think, I think in the, in the next five to 10 years, Tesla bot is, in my opinion, is going to be a giant lever for Tesla to reduce costs dramatically per unit. It's going to be giant from that perspective. And I wonder how much of Elon's goal of 20 million by 2030 is enabled by the bot as well. Because you're thinking about what does the bot also allow you to do in a factory? It allows you to really compress areas down a lot. You don't really have to wor worry about ergonomics or giving a human enough space to work. All of a sudden, you know, they've already made a lot of improvements from a robotics perspective and a body shop perspective for Model Y versus say Model X. So X, 33% less or 33% of the robots needed versus those cars, I think was the figure. You layer in bot, then final assembly gets super tight as well. Final assembly is a place where a lot of humans work, okay? Boom, all of a sudden that that thing gets shrunk. Uh, in my, uh, from my world that I lived at Tesla, I worked in uh, service distribution. And a lot of my work was uh, a, a lot of analytics, but it was also merged with process improvement, layouts, and figuring out how to best design a warehouse so that we can maximize the square footage, both uh, horizontally and vertically, so that we can fit as much as, as much stuff as humanly possible in these buildings while allowing enough humans to work in these areas. So you layer in robotics and automation, boy, you can fit probably twice the stuff in those things. Like, and the biggest example I use for this is vertical space. So right now there's a lot of regulations around vertical space and warehouses, and it, it, it kind of like differs from state to state. But in Pennsylvania, for example, you can only go 12, 12 feet high on a stack. Mm -hmm. So say you don't have any racks and you have just what, what's called bulk. Say you have a, like the fascias, for example, the, the front fascias of the cars came in these giant boxes. You would have 10 fascias sort of stacked in, and then we would basically stack three of these on top of each other, okay? Once you have a warehouse space where there's no humans walking around, that thing goes up to the freaking ceiling. 
Okay. You don't have to worry about those things falling on a person. They fall, fall on the bot. Who cares? It's a freaking bot. Okay. So it becomes a cost question. It doesn't become a loss of life question, which is way, way cheaper. <laughs> it's way, way cheaper to deal with a broken bot than a dead person. Right. Uh, so that's where my brain goes to. And, and within that context, what's fascinating to watch is that Tesla is already extremely good at pumping out more units per facility than any other automaker. So if you take Fremont as an example, they're doing mm -hmm. 650,000 uh, per year out of that facility. Numi under Toyota and GM was 500,000 max. And these guys have been around for 100 years. They supposedly know what they're doing, okay? Then Tesla, their first factory, guess what? 30% more. So what's the bot gonna do now? <laughs> you know, in Shanghai and Austin and uh, Berlin and who knows, all these new gigafactories. That's, it's going to be, they get a double whammy effect. They get to sell these things at, at, and in five, 10 years and make a bunch of money on a full self-driving. And then at the same time, they're lowering their cost structure through this automation as well. So right. I, I think, uh, uh, Farzad, you actually made me think about Elon's master plan part three. And I'm actually wondering from what you were talking about, if the Tesla bot's going to be explicitly mentioned as part of, because he said it's all about mm -hmm. scaling. And what better way to scale than to automate a lot of the workforce? So I actually, <laughs> I mean, I have Bots would be great no miners. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that they could do, but I'm just wondering if like actually will be in master plan part three will be like scale up Tesla bots so that we can increase the labor force, like an explicit bullet point in there for that. I could, I could see that happening. Yeah. That's interesting. If you think yeah. about car factories, uh, they're still limited to the, the speed of a walking human. Um, ever since the time of Henry Ford and hundred years. So if, if you have robots interfacing with the cars even more, you could speed up that time. And then, then you could, you can feed, you can feed all that. You can have it go faster. You can have it be, be feeding into it. Like just condensing the parts down into the smaller and smaller space. The robots, if, if something unexpected happens, the robots can decide um, to uh, slow down the line if they want. Um, I think so. Here's something for an uh, a robot maybe to solve, Farzad. I know there's different rules, or you're saying there's different rules for factories and warehouses. Like, what if the robot designed the warehouse or designed the factory? Let's let's give the robot the laws of physics and tell it <laughs> what parts the you know, it can make and it can use gravity and heat and electricity however it wants and get us that part at the very end and do it as quick in the small space as possible and with the least yeah. amount of energy and the least amount of humans. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's more, and I, I mean, I just, I'm way out of my depth here, so maybe Scott and John can answer this better, but maybe I, I wonder if that's less a bot specific thing, but maybe like an AGI thing or like just a modeling thing, you know, now that if Tesla is going to become the number one, if they're going to have the most powerful computer in the world in five, 10 years time, because they need literally need, they need that power to to uh, have <laughs> Skynet <laughs> with their bots. I don't know if they, they need a lot of computing power to make this happen. I why wouldn't they leverage that computer? I, power, I think right? we I think that's I, I would be surprised, honestly, if they haven't been using some of that to build their Giga Texas, Giga Berlin, uh, because. It, if you look at these things, they look like computer chips, right? They basically mm. look like full-sized, like macroscopic computer chips. And the only way that people can design computer chips anymore is with the help of AI, because they're far too complex 
for human beings yeah. to design them anymore. So I, I would honestly be surprised if they're not already doing that. Now, we don't need AGI. Uh, I want to be very careful. We certainly don't need a conscious robot to do this, right? We just need a really, really good tool. Good so program. very smart, yeah. but not, but still just a tool. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you software is definitely used to, uh, um, Elon's lawyers, please don't come to my door. I'm not saying anything <clears> too <throat> important, am I? Uh, I'll just say this, Tesla has a lot of talent and you'd be surprised just how much uh, of the design and sort of brilliance of the company is actually people that have been empowered to do their best. Like you'd be surprised. Oh yeah, so, for sure. Which, which is also like super bullish because once Tesla does figure out how to leverage those softwares, oh boy, right? Like this, this could be, this is, you won't make the argument, this is all human created. Right. And Berlin and Austin are human created. But then to Bradford's point and your point, once they really start leveraging these super powerful softwares and tools, say in five, 10 years time for the next next generation of the Gigafactory, especially with the bot in mind, right? With ensuring that we're maximizing vertical and horizontal space for the purpose of automation or robotics, it's gonna look weird. It's gonna look really, really, it's gonna, I mean, it's it's that, Elon has talked about it how many times? It's the uh, the the machine that builds the machine, the, What's the word he uses? The, um, oh, the the something. The, Alien the, dreadnought. Thank you. There you go. There you go. And then to your point, John, master plan part three is that going to be the alien dreadnought sort of style uh, uh, execution that we need to get to that massive right. amount of supply that we need. It kind of sounds like that's what he's talking about. He keeps teasing that it's all about scale, so it's just a question of what that means. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, they, they clearly are using software because, I mean, that's kind of what my company does is that we we simulate the factory and a lot of our customers are doing that and they're always thinking about how they could use some sort of AI tools to make it better. Um, right now, we haven't all figured out the best way to deploy AI and helping us uh, design an entire factory from scratch, but there are examples that people are doing that, constantly trying to iterate and find the most optimal way of doing it. So I would not be surprised if something like that happens in the future. You know, and as far as what Tesla bot's going to do, I think we've mentioned one or two times this idea of the low hanging fruit. And for side, you mentioned kind of the final assembly and I would say the final assembly is kind of the high hanging fruit right now. Mm-hmm. And when we had the, the tour in, in Giga Texas, um, I like to say that not only was there low hanging fruit, but there was fruit on the ground that was rotting. <laughs> I mean, they're, Not they're, what I showed there with, with feeding, yeah, exactly, with, you know, basically, uh, you know, feeding the robots at the zoo, that's one that's still on the tree. That's an example on the tree. And that was, I was thinking, oh, they do something like that. And then when I saw what they were saying, I was like, wait a minute, that's even easier than that. It's much simpler. Right. And I'm surprised it's not even automating it already, but it is something to have a human worker just because it was easier for them to set it up than to go through the whole expense of it. Once you yep. get um, Optimus in there, there's all these little applications that will become really easy to automate very, very quickly. So that's going to happen. Final assembly gets tricky because of all the flexibility that you have in there. So, you know, snapping those connectors in there is not something that's very easy, which is the reason why we haven't automated it anyway. So we have to have the human get in there. So eventually Optimus will get there. They will probably redesign the car a little bit. I mean, already the idea of the structural battery pack and the car just kind of hanging there. It's so easy for someone to just reach up and go click, 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 as opposed to now where people are crawling in. So it may be something that's far easier for something like Optimus to do. Once you kind of get to there, now you're probably talking about 
a robot that is really useful at doing a lot of other things. So they're going to start simple and they're going to work their way up to the top of the tree. And when they get there, then I start thinking that, wow, you might have an all-purpose robot. And whether that takes two years, because that is, that's an S-curve. We just don't know where we are on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's also the question of like, what all is going to fit on the robot? Um, how big does the brain need to be? Um, so you, you need the robot to be able to get around and um, be, cool, be cool with humans, be cool with the machines, sense the environment, all that. And you need it to be able to do its job. Um, but then how much room are you left with? Um, so there may be, there may be limits to uh, what all it can do at once, but maybe, maybe in a factory, it, it could do plenty. Um, I was just uh, watching the thing with uh, DeepMind and um, the various versions of the AlphaGo and they made this AI that not only could you know be the best player in Go, but it's like the best player in chess and it can use its algo to figure out just random video games um, without even creating different weights um, for training the algo, like um, all with the same weight. So it's like, uh, maybe you're right, Scott. Maybe I just take all that back. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, at first it will be pretty simple because it's not like the robot is going to get up in the morning and then walk, walk to work and march to the factory to get to wherever it's its workstation is. It's probably just always going to be there. So it only needs to know that small world and the application will be pretty simple. So at first I think it's just a super advanced vision system that's able to identify a part that that's the right part, figure out how to pick it up. And then what is the orientation for it and bring it over and drop it off. So we're already kind of doing that already. We're just putting it into more of a humanoid form. So in some ways, you might say, oh, there isn't any real groundbreaking technology there. It's just that they've wrapped it all up in one neat package for the first time that could do quite a bit. But they've got a backbone behind it, FSD, which has got so much more capability that once you start figuring out what that does, it's probably going to take off. So a lot of these things could be done. Like I say, there is probably no reason why they couldn't automate the picking of those sheet metal. It's just that it's too costly and too complex. It's just easier done in a humanoid form today. So the best thing is just to hire a human to do it. How do you all think and how do you all think about how the bot gets trained? Because I, I've I've been and I wonder if we see this at AI too, mm. AI Day too. Like what what is the mechanism to actually train mm. the bot to do the actions? You I know, think, like full self driving today is a lot of like exception. You know, right. human says this was a mistake gets pushed into the neural net, blah, magic happens, cars better, right? I mean, this well, is a crazy oversimplification. But, I think the yeah. first thing and what they're probably already doing is using that incredibly beautiful simulation engine they showed us last year. So, mm. you know, mm. and, <laughs> Scott, I'm sure we'll agree with this since you're a simulation guy anyway, but I, I have a feeling, you know, millions of years of training are going on currently with, with you know, <laughs> virtual Tesla bot. Um, but that is an interesting question. I, I actually have a theory about this, and that is that the digital self-management systems that Joe Justice and others have talked about, so I'm not <laughs> – it's on them if they disclosed any secrets. But but that, that – John, I hear a lawyer knocking on your door. Right now, bro. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, shush, just hold on. <laughs> but, but, you know, but anyway, but that, that digital self-management system is where the real key is going to come in because it's going to instantly be able to tell the Tesla bot if it's misperforming. 
right? So it's sitting there looking, it's paying attention to what's going on. And the Tesla bot, I don't know, picks up the wrong part, puts it in the wrong place, does whatever. And it's just like, oh, you lose, you know? So it gets a little virtual spank on the butt or something, you know, a little loss function, whatever that happens to be. And so it does better the next time. But I think the very first step was obviously virtual, like just running a factory simulation millions of times. I, I, I can think of, uh, of a couple ways of doing that. One is it's right next to a worker and it kind of observes what that person's doing, kind of like the way we do it in an apprenticeship uh, program. The other is that you inhabit the Tesla bot through uh, VR where you actually go in there and start moving around and do everything. Um, but I don't think it's really going to be either of those. I, I think it is going to be a lot of simulation where the robot learns specific tasks. You break things down. It learns this concept of grabbing, 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 and identifying and things like that. And then from it, you can construct a language that all you have to do is come in here and say, okay, Tesla bot, what you need to do is pick up that part there, put it over there, and then when you're done, pick up that part and the other part, then come over here, place the first one there, the second one there, step back, push the button, confirm that the clamps have closed. When they have closed, exit, push the other button, wait, and rinse and repeat. That is probably how they will be telling on the floor because we already could do speech recognition. We're going to break it down the task. And if it understands those basic little building blocks, there's no reason why you do it. So it's not going to be we have to show it how to go over and grab it. And the reason we don't want to show how to grab it, because today robots are working in a very, I'm talking about the industrial robots, are in a very structured environment. The part and the workpiece they're working on is always in the exact same location. If they have to pick up something, it's already there. It's fed to them in the perfect location and everything else. So they just go and they repeat and repeat. And we teach those motions. We teach point by point by point, and that's very, very tedious. But how do you train a worker on the floor today? Basically, you just give them a series of simple instructions because they're smart enough to understand. They know what it needs to grab a part, and they can quickly identify, oh, the big one, the small one, the left-handed side one, the right-handed side one, come over, put it in there. If it doesn't fit in right, I know there's something wrong, and maybe I ask for some help, or I, I figure it out myself. So I think that's how their training is going to be broken down. It's, it's not going to be like traditional robot programming. They certainly have enough AI to be able to do that. I'll just throw in, Scott, that I was actually backing up several steps before where you were because I was I was thinking about the virtual optimist falling over and mm -hmm. not, not knowing how to walk. Like the, the, the simulation part would be the very basic yeah, things of exactly. just it, learning how to actually. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Back. I mean, the, the whole, we don't have to teach optimists how to walk. Right. OK, it will already have figured that out in simulation. We just say walk over to there and walk back here. We're not going to be teaching your joint motions are like this every single one to get there. So it understands those high-level constructs, and then all you do is break down what the tasks are. So it really is going to be like a recipe. You just put it in front of it. What do you all think of this uh, point that Hans has proposed? Like Apple's App Store, a ton of small shop developers will be incentivized to create functional programs that people can download to their boss to do specific mm -hmm. tasks. Is this even – like how, how do you all think about that? That would be so cool inside Tesla mm -hmm. to start with. I mean, talk about empowerment. If you give somebody a good interface uh, programming, so they didn't have to be a programmer, but they could do things like that and tell it to, I think that'd be perfect. Um, you know, I know that that's oh, the way yeah. Tesla works internally already anyway, so why not? That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think eventually the, the bot does become like the iPhone. It's, it's something that can't do anything yet until the app developers come in and show it all these different tasks. So you will have, and I think it's been mentioned before, someone's going to show it how to cook, how to do the laundry. So you just buy those apps and it goes in and now it understands how to do it. 
because that's where you get the power of parallelization and everyone else doing it. But I don't think it's quite there yet. They probably haven't figured out the API for that. Or it'll be a while before they open up for everyone else to be able to say, now you can go ahead and do it. But yeah, long term, why not? Mm -hmm. Or John, how to play the guitar, Fizard. I got a question <laughs> for John. Um, by the way, we're, we're, we're asking Farzad to play the guitar at the very end. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I will. All right. <laughs> we, want it. we want to hear it. We want to hear it. Um, oh, shoot. I just forgot what it was. Um, it was for it, John. Yeah. Oh, oh um, okay. yeah. So Tesla's going to have teams or team to train the robot, but they're going to need to be able to teach other people to train the robot um, or train developers how to train the robot. Uh, can you talk a little bit more what that might look like or? Well, I actually like, uh, was it Hans that suggested that? I like the idea of at the beginning, as Scott is saying, it's going to be too complicated because they won't really understand what they're doing yet. But I think eventually they'll create an API that is basically a non-programming one. Maybe some pseudocode where you just type in, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. And then the robot already has, I mean, basically like, you know, the iPhone, it's got an operating system. And if you pass it the right commands, which should be able to be in relatively plain English, it can parse that and it can figure out. So, you know, what Scott was saying is like, go pick this thing up, move it over here, then put it there, uh, move it to the right orientation and then push a button or something. Right. So it, you could teach it to do that without having to explicitly show it how I think in my mind, that's the, the huge advantage beyond just the fact that it's more human looking and can it inhabit a human environment so it can use power tools, it can use things that people already use, is the fact that you won't have to do this whole thing where it's like, you know, move this 37 degrees to the right, you know, clockwise, then move the wrist down 12 degrees, you know, it's like, oh gosh, you, you don't want to end up in a situation like that. So I think the goal is for this robot to be able to be just given some relatively high level English yep. type instructions. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, when, when, when we say grab something from over there, we mean that box that's full of a bunch of stuff in there and just pull one of them out. In a normal industrial robot, that's very hard to do. It just can't do it. And you, you really, you have to teach it. So we just want to be able to tell Optimus, yeah, what, what's in that box? Just get it. Yeah. What's the likelihood that Tesla actually shows like, that they've solved that piece of the puzzle and that's how they unveil the bot? They're like, hey, we figured out how to have it learn things. Like, how likely is that? Well, they've got, uh, full, I mean, they've got the full okay. driving thing, right? So that should be something that they can do. I, I, I think I'd be careful with maybe, hmm, it depends on how you, how you, how you mean learn. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of a, a very loaded term. I, I think what it could do is it, it can learn a series of tasks or string them together. And you, you would just tell that this is what, these are the steps I want you to do. Just go ahead and do it. And you can do it at a very high level. And I think they'll do that. This, this is what I think the presentation is going to be like at AI Day. Um, now, James Dama has said that if the Tesla robot just kind of like walks up on the stage and goes over and shakes Elon's hand and waves and, and sits down, that everyone in the AI community will just find that absolutely fantastic. I mean, they will just be, wow, that is something else. The general public will say, ooh, what's the big deal? Okay. Because it, there's so much going on there. It, it'll probably be a little bit more than that. Something with someone will, will give instructions to the robot and people will just be milling around, moving around. So it might be, say, 
oh, um, Optimus, go up and shake Elon's hand. And Elon will just be in some random place around there, and Optimus will identify him and go up and shake his hand. And, you know, now go over to Drew and pat him on the shoulder. And he'll just kind of go over, pat him on the shoulder. You know, oh, go, go pick up that box over there and bring it to Elon. And that box is just somewhere, and it's like, Oh, oh that, you mean that thing over there? And it's going to have to navigate because there's going to be people in the way. It's going to go ahead and do that. So I, I imagine you'd be able to do something like that by getting very simple instructions. You would see immediately it's doing it. And they will make sure that the table is not set up to be just so that it works, that everyone's moving around. Who knows? I might get some volunteers to come up from the audience to say, oh, Elon, stand there. <laughs> You know, we want mm. you over there just to show that it really is random. I, I, I think I we also, oh, go ahead. I got a question here. It's like, why hasn't uh, Boston Dynamics showed something like this? Like everything is like pre-rehearsed or pre-scripted. Well, uh, they've done an amazing job with the whole like motor coordination, balance, not falling over. <laughs> Look, it's kind of going like, but you know, they've done an amazing job with that, but I don't think that their software chops uh, for AI type software are up to snuff. And what I was going to say is actually, let's look at the way a car operates, a full self-driving. Do, do all of us have FSD beta? Anyway, so the way that yeah, operates so. is it, you give it a task. You say, I want to go to the grocery store. And obviously it maps out whatever that route is, but it's not sitting there going like in, in, a half a mile turn right or something it's going like in the next second do this and the next second do this and yeah there are layers on top of that but the robot you know if you say go over there and pick something out of the box it's not having to process that entire task it's like take a step take a step am i still going in the right direction yeah i am take another step take another step oh now i'm close enough i can see what's in there reach my hand in you know so each piece of the it's like a little trail of breadcrumbs you know, you're not asking it to understand the entire thing as one swell, one fell swoop. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's doing little breadcrumbs and it's following that path along. And if it can learn those little breadcrumbs, then yeah, that, that's And vision is really important to this whole process, by the by. I think that's a big thing that Scott was talking about earlier, um, is that, it, you know, the difference between a, a, a FANUC or something like that is that those robots are blind. You know, they have to reach over and they assume that the thing is already there. And if it's not, then they miss and they're like, whoops, <laughs> you know, error. So so the robot yeah. is flexible because it can see the world and understands what's going on. Yeah. Chelsea had a great comment. Maybe you could yeah. throw it up there. It would be cool to have Optimus walk the Boston Dynamics. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's cool. Yeah. That's 21st that's century dunking on people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I'm probably going to like go ahead and step in it right now because I, I saw my LinkedIn page the other day, an article about Boston Dynamics. I looked at it closely and my first reaction was, and I tweeted it out, I said, that is not a humanoid robot. And everyone's going, oh, sure it is. Basically, it's an industrial robot that walks. If you look at the arm, if you look at the kinematics, you look at the wrist, there is nothing humanoid about it. It's right out of the industrial robot playbook as far as the kinematics. And if you look at it, there is no hand. There's basically a mounting plate to just put attachments on there to do stuff. So the task it's designed for is very different than what Optimus is. It's designed to do what are basically superhuman tasks. I mean, almost like going into the firehouse or going into the burning house you know, lifting up the burning embers so people can get out of it. That's that's what that's meant for Optimus. The current form of it would not be able to do that. It's not that strong. Uh, so the, whatever Atlas is supposed to be for seems to be very different. The other thing is I've never figured out what is the business model of Boston Dynamics. 
It, it seems to me yeah. they purely exist as an R&D facility. And Google found that out the hard way. They bought them. And then like within a year or two, they separated because they thought, oh, they've got something we can turn into a product. And when they found out that no one there was really interested in developing a product, but just coming to work and having fun all day, <laughs> they, yeah. they kind of parted ways. And so I think there's a big difference. That's that's the major difference between the two is, is one is that Tesla is looking at a return on investment. They're not doing this for fun and games. They actually expect Optimus to do something. Yeah. As a layman, like I'm, this is not, this is way, very far from my area of expertise, but from the very beginning, I wasn't that impressed by Boston Dynamics because it just looked like it's a company that just figured out how to do balancing. Like it's kind of like mm -hmm. a segue that walks, right? And, it, and it's self-powered. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. It looks cool. Uh, John, spit out. Okay, we got the yeah. spit take. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've, been saying, I've been saying that for weeks now, that the balance problem was solved basically by Segway. When everyone says it's really hard yeah. to get robots to walk, I'm like, no, balance has been yeah. solved. Yeah. And so that's right. exactly the observation yeah. is perfect. And I'm not saying it's it's not difficult. Like I'm this is this is not me like shedding on Boston Dynamics. Like of course it's it's a big thing that they did and it's great. Like props to Boston Dynamics. But but you're thinking about okay, what is it useful for? Then I'm like, okay, it's useful to, I don't know, put up a video on YouTube and get 10 million views. Like that's how I think about it. Like what is the utility of the actual and I'm not trying to be facetious here. Like I'm being like honest. Like, okay, that's that's what they're trying to do there. So then and then if we layer in, and this is again from the, from my perspective, if we layer in the fact that Tesla, if they have world-class engineers and they have world-class software developers and world-class AI experts, if the bot isn't 10x the capabilities of a Boston Dynamics robot or even 100x what it's, what it's capable of doing, like what we just described in this forum, if it's able to, to identify things and listen to commands real time without any script and be able to make out the real world that to me is already a hundred times more than what boston dynamics is which is just a balancing robot that is being fed a script and then it's performing that script right uh that's already just orders of magnitudes above but unless we see that then i i'm not I, i'm not really sure what we're looking at but i, I feel like we will see something like that that's going to be significantly better go ahead Bradford. I, yeah i have this fear about the demo that it uh, doesn't work for an un unexpected reason. And let me ask John or Scott, like, so you have a crowd of uh, academics or um, engineers that Tesla hopes to recruit, and they're going to be sitting there. And if that crowd wasn't in the simulation, I'm guessing that might like throw off the, the bot. Um, is, do you think Tesla's oh, going to plan for yeah, that? That's true. Stage fright, uh, huh? Yeah, that's actually interesting that it could do that. Sorry, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I don't understand that. Oh, Brad, the idea that just the people, yeah, so, the audience, uh, if if it's about, operating in an empty room, yeah, yeah right. Oh, think about yeah, Vietnam. Okay. So like uh, the Got Tesla it. FSD fails in Vietnam because there's like so many people, pedestrians, there's so many people. It on has bikes. a panic attack, basically. Okay, like it's too much Got for it, it. and then okay. yeah, <laughs> a robotic panic attack. Boy, we're in 2022. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I, you're right, actually. I mean, if they're smart, they'll at least bring in a bunch of employees and do a trial run and see if it works before, before they try to do that. Cause otherwise it could get completely thrown off. 
And, and those employees will all have to sign a second NDA. That <laughs> <laughs> they won't show. Those, those NDAs are pretty strict. I, mean, right, I, I, think, I think the demo that they need to do is they need to throw a, an iron ball at the Tesla bot and see if it cracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as they're going for live demos, they might as well like just start chucking things out. What if it like catches it and throws it back? So like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing, bro? And there's a cyber truck back there and it busts the windows. So yeah. 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 <laughs> um, or, go ahead, Bradford. Or maybe it'd be rude, but you know, to have the robot in an enclosed environment, you know, <laughs> so that it's, you know, that way it's just reading that environment. Not worried about the glass beyond be, or whatever. Oh no, yeah, it could be true. I was, I sorry, I, as soon as you said that, I thought it was inside of a cage and it's going like, let me out. Like this poor thing is in there. <laughs> it's like everyone's just laughing at it, walking by and laughing at the Tesla bot. So, <laughs> but yeah, that could be something where what they, but I don't think that'll have the same effect if they say like, oh, it's happening over on the other side of the glass, but watch it, you know, and you can see it on the screens. People say like, oh, that was trumped up. So, uh, I think in order uh, yeah. to do it right, they're going to have to do it live in front of a crowd. It might also depend upon regulations. Mm. Mm. That true. And that would be what the auspices of maybe the fire marshal or something like that, or others or OSHA, they're going to say that if you have a room full of people with a robot that hasn't been certified, right. uh, they, they, they may at least do something, you know, trade fairs, they have to be careful also what they do with the robots. But uh, they, they usually have them screened off a little bit or they're very careful. And, and again, you know, an interesting, a funny example that happened at a trade fair years ago, this idea of the robots being very, very blind. Cincinnati Melocron wanted to come up with a robot that opened up a refrigerator, took a beer out and would hand it to people. And so the engineers had it set up and all the robot had to do was like go over, grab the handle, open the door up, go in, grab the beer, take it out and put it down. And I think they might even have like a bottle opener to go ahead and do it. So that was working really, really, really well. But what they didn't do is they did not bolt the refrigerator down on the floor. Oh, geez. Wow. To grab the handle, the handle wasn't there. Scott, you're lagging, my friend, a lot. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah, there goes my internet. Right right. I think you're back. Literally. I think you're back. Yeah. 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 So, so the whole idea is that, is that the fridge moved, the robot thought the door was open. It wasn't open because it completely missed the handle. It thinks it's there. It goes to grab it and it just punches the door and the fridge <laughs> just goes flying across the floor <laughs> in a trade fair. So yeah. again, it's those kind of things that you need to avoid to make sure it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. That's a good but point. again, hopefully at least Tesselbot can't punch over a refrigerator because it's a little bit too light for that. So at yeah, least you don't, yeah, at least you don't have exactly. quite the Terminator effect. Well, of like, see, the other thing is, is that it's, it's very clear that what was bad in that demonstration is that everyone knows that when the fridge opens, the light goes on, right? Some magic thing makes this light turn on in the fridge. You could easily have tapped into that to tell the controller that, hey, if that light doesn't go on, stop. And, and, of course, Optimus is going to be a lot smarter because Optimus has these sensors that will be able to determine that, oh, we've got a failure condition here. Don't proceed ahead. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Mount Hood. It's $5 Super Chat. Thank you, brother. Any thoughts on uh, Xiaomi's, Xiaomi's uh, human or robot announced this week? Yeah, we actually spoke about it a little bit at the beginning of the video. So if you either rewind back or when this live stream ends, you go back in. It's one of the very first topics that we uh, discussed. Um, I, I think bit. it was impressive, ahead, but it's also, uh, 
it's got a little bit of the uh, since i teach animation i always worry about the uncanny valley which is that thing where it's like close to human looking but not quite it's a little creepy looking <laughs> it's got the the whole hip area is is freaky and and also it walks with those little tiny shuffle steps <laughs> so you know i i start to realize just how elegant human beings are and the fact that we can take like almost a meter a step right i mean these huge giant yeah. steps and it's very we're we're quite elegant animals so um but I, if you see Tesla bot going like doing the little like shuffle like that, that's not going to be nearly as impressive no, as if it no, can walk no, confidently. No, no, no. That's, when I saw the first stills, I thought, oh, wow, this looks really impressive. No one actually saw it. I said, that's no more than what Osimo has been doing since 2000. So that's, that's yeah. the Honda robot. And again, those funny shuffle steps. And it reminds me of those wind-up robots I had as a kid that were able to kind of walk that way. It was the exact same thing. So, no, there was nothing there. It was, there was nothing new, nothing innovative. I think what they're, they were just trying to do is figure out whether they could put something together themselves and, and what the process was involved in that. So they get it up to that stage, but there's probably no new innovation. Yeah. What about the delicate flower or whatever? That it was just holding the flower and putting it out there? Just Yeah. I mean, you have to give them credit. At least they do have hands. I'm actually, I was going to try to share yeah. the screen, but for some reason I can't share it, right? But the Boston Dynamics robot just has like, you know, clubs for hands, yeah, uh, hands you know, and, and and just the the just the fingers and the hands, that's a whole, <laughs> that is an impressive accomplishment on its own, just, just that by itself. Yeah. Um, and then just real quick, Emerito, thanks again, man, $5 or five euros super chat. Optimus training on real world or simulation. Uh, again, we, we spoke about this briefly before, but it's going to be a, a mix. Uh, it's going to start with simulation and then it's going to go real world. But uh, thank you yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I could just uh, say, say why. One is that, yeah, please. Uh, it, it, of course, it, when you simulate, you can get so many uh, iterations that you learn quite a lot. The problem is the, the virtual world is not exactly the same as the real world as far as the physics. So the physics is an approximation of the real world. So then you have to bring it in the real world for it to go through and really understand what it feels like to pick up a feather or an egg or something else. Because there's going to be something about the texture, the way it reacts, the way inertia is, friction is going to be a little different, all those things. So you need to do a mixture of both. Uh, we're approaching 90 minutes, maybe for the for the last topic, the one we haven't touched on yet, but I personally for me is like super important for me to understand how to model Tesla into the future is cost. So uh, on the uh, tweet that was sent out uh, that Bradford shared, therefore, uh, thereafter, human and robots usefulness will increase the earliest production scales up and costs fall. In the future, a home robot may be cheaper than a car. So I think that's the that's the first time that I think Elon has given us some sort of indication as far as like what the potential long term cost cost structure of the th this thing's going to be. How do you guys think about that? Um, where do you think it's going to start? Where do you think it's going to end up? What does cheaper than a car mean? Like, is that fifty thousand? Is that's that twenty thousand? I mean, you're talking right? twenty thousand to two and a half million dollars. That's a pretty big yeah. range. So, I have a feeling the first Tesla bot will be cheaper than a McLaren. But <laughs> yeah. So, how, how do y'all think about that? I'm curious well, to hear your well, thoughts. I, I think about um, what Elon did with SpaceX. It's in the the Ashley Vance uh, biography, where there's this uh, radio or something that's in the satellites. And this radio costs, I, I'm just going from, by memory, like $250,000. And Elon goes to one of his engineers, I think like his best one. He's like, I want you to figure out how to make it uh, for less than like $5,000. And you got a week to do it. 
And it took the guy like um, maybe two weeks, but he figured out how to make this radio and to do it um, like for 6,000 bucks. So it's like a huge savings for SpaceX. They figured out how to make it. Um, and, and maybe Scott can talk about this, but I think the way Tesla thinks about costs is like, what's the cost of the, the atoms. And mm-hmm. yeah. So like servos and actuators may be pretty expensive now because they're not mass produced, but um, you know, how can we, how can we make them the cheapest? So I, I think eventually they can get it to like $5,000 is the cost of Tesla. Um, I just look at the materials, the cost of the materials and if you can make a car that has 10,000 parts, I think you could figure out how to make the arms, how, how to get it to a certain precision. Um, but I'm curious what Scott thinks about this. Uh, I, I think the, the way you look at it is there's two components in there. There's a hardware component and a software component. And the software component is sort of one extreme of what's going on when you are, are looking at any sort of manufacturing that's going on. So if you look at Microsoft, all the cost of that software is a development cost. It's not the manufacturing cost. We know the manufacturing distribution is practically free, yet we know their software isn't free. Why is that? Because of all the development of being able to come up with that. Um, and then there's the other extreme of manufacturing. While most of manufacturing is actually the cost of your production lines and materials, everything you get to go in there, and there's a little bit of R&D that you have. So the... Um, but that's kind of small compared to that. So those are sort of the two different extremes. What is Tesla bought? Is it software or is it hardware? It's kind of a combination of the two. So I see in the very beginning, there's been a lot of cost in developing that thing. So the first one or two that come off, you're gonna be able to say, ah, that thing cost a half million or a million dollars to build, just because you have to amortize the cost of all that R&D. But once you've solved that problem of how to actually control this and how to make it smart and how to be able to do all these tasks, those costs just go down. Like you say, it, it comes down to the cost of the atoms at that point. Uh, the one thing I will throw in that might give us a little bit of an indication, is, uh, although it's not perfect, is the uh, cost of full self-driving, right? So, I mean, you're purchasing a $50,000 car, whatever, some, you know, but then they're like, if you want full self-driving, it's an extra 12 grand. And so, <laughs> do they give you the Tesla bot? But if you want it to perform a bunch of tasks, you're going to have to subscribe to the kitchen task or or the laundry task or you know what or or the factory task if you're a factory person. You know, so like I feel like they have ways where they can charge for the hardware almost separately from the software. There's kind of a base OS that's there that's included with the price, and maybe that's twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars. But then if you want the Tesla bot to do more and more stuff, then you got to pay for it. Just just as a guess based on the fact that the full self-driving costs extra and is not included in the cars. I want to pull up the uh the picture of the invitation that they sent. Because one of the things that I noticed <laughs> from that was that the hands look kind of complex and i'm curious to hear y'all's opinion on that since we have some experts on here and if google images would play nice just for once (laughs) scott and i had uh by the way to plug my channel if anybody's interested a couple of days ago scott and i had a what uh, over an hour discussion about the hands so 
so yeah, so definitely check that out. We so get into it. Actually, more about the wrist than the hand. Yeah, about the wrist. I mean, it was just this. <laughs> just the wrist, the fingers. That's something else. That, that is something else. Let's see. Okay. I, ha- I highly recommend that video. That was really good. So here we go. So maybe yeah. give us like a, a a crash course as far as what what y'all saw. And the, 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 the bigger thing for me is what does this mean as far as uh, material costs and the sort of manufacturing processes that have to be put in place to make this scalable? Like, is this a thing that we're going to have to, th- does it require multiple years of innovation to get it to a point where they can crank? I guess ultimately what I'm trying to get to is how many bots per year in 2030? Like, that's ultimately what, what where my head goes to. Is it a thousand? Is it a million? Is it 10 million? Is it a hundred million? And, and at what cost? And I feel like this picture might have some clues. So maybe give us a little bit of a, of well, a rundown. Certainly the bill of materials is going to be far less than a car just because it's not as much mm-hmm. stuff in there. But I'll let Scott, because Scott, you're the expert in this area. So you take it. Uh, yeah, well, I've always felt that the one thing that's limiting the, the Tesla bot is the, the, the AI or the software, the brains and the hand. Everything else in between has is, is kind of been a, a solved problem. So in many ways, that hand is probably what limits your production. If they're able to crank that out very easily, everything else is, is fairly easy to manufacture. And a lot of it, of course, is, is how much it's able to do is going to come down to how complex or the dexterity you're able to get out of that hand. So there's a, a lot of keys there. Um, it seems like the design is fairly simple. And there was one comment in our, our video, John, that I thought was rather interesting. It might be insightful. They thought that one side of it was CGI rendered and the other side is real. And that's why they're not exactly mirrors and a little bit different. I'm like, hmm. So which is what which do you and- think now? <laughs> you know, so I don't you know, even know which is which in that case. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know which is which. And I've always felt that there are some parts in there that have been redacted that we can't see to, to, to figure out what's oh, going yeah. on. Uh, we focused a lot on the wrist. The wrist mechanism seems to be fairly simple. What, what you're seeing down in, in the corners are these two uh, you know, cylinders with a piston in there that are pushing back and forth. And when they both push together, it causes the hand to go up and down like this, what we call a pitching motion. If one of them goes in the opposite direction to the other, you get this yawing motion back and forth. And that's not as an important emotion. It's, it's kind of limited, but it's limited with our normal hands. And that's about right. And it goes up and down. And by deciding to do it that way, it looks like they put all the mechanics behind the wrist where you want them because you want the wrist to be very thin and not to have to have servos and everything else crowding that space so you can get your other services through there that you need for the fingers. What they're doing inside the hand, we haven't quite figured out You know where the, the power is coming in, where the motors are. Are they in there for the fingers or are they somehow having these tendons, what look like tendons in here, come all the way back to the wrist? And then there's this big box that we can't quite figure out what it's there for because it seems to be rather bulky and getting in the way. Um, but uh, in, in that video, we, we do show mechanically how the wrist would work. The fingers are a bit interesting because you are, they've changed some things. If you look at your, your hand or your fingers, they're made up of three separate bones. Uh, the proximal, the distal, and the one in the middle, which is called the middle. And what they've done is the proximal is a little bit longer than it is for us, and they've fused together the middle and the distal and have already built a little bit of an arch in there. 
So it looks like they've dropped one knuckle in there to sort of simplify the whole thing. Right. And, um, and one other thing is uh, that Chinese article that we saw today, I think, Bradford, you, you put that on online. But if you look at this picture, it's really hard to tell if there are two digits plus a thumb on each hand or three or four. Three or four. Uh, and it was interesting that Elon talked about having 10 fingers in that yeah. article. So I was like, maybe there are, but it's also possible <laughs> there might just be like one or two little fingers and like a mitten or something. So it, it's a very interesting image that you're interesting. Can't, yeah. But the fingers yeah. are not exactly the same as a human finger. No, no. And there's a major, there's a major complexity savings by not having that extra little joint in the fingers, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. fairly useless anyway. I mean, again, I think Scott, you talk about this a lot, but you know, if you're picking up a power tool, you just need to be able to grip it and pull the trigger. You don't have to have any kind of crazy, you're not, you don't have to play the piano or the guitar yeah. or anything like that. You just have to be able to yeah. pick up the power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if, yeah. If you're not playing the piano or the guitar, uh, you, you don't really need the pinky. Uh, I think the only other reasons for the pinky that was come up with is connecting the dots that you need it to be able to palm a basketball. Uh, you might need it to be able to throw a pass. Uh, you don't need it for drinking tea. So is it four? The British would disagree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you, you need it for drinking tea or that is actually the important part of drinking tea? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Both, I guess, maybe. The British think it's important. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, then, so then within the context of like may, maybe we, we, we end the stream this way. So, so how do we think about like if you were to guess how many units they produce by 2030? You know, or are you not comfortable making that that guess? Like, do we have enough information within this, what we've talked about so far? The the message that we saw in the blog post today, like if you were to guess by 2030, how many of these we would have coming out of a Tesla factory? Like, what do you think? Use the Tesla ramp up already. We're talking about starting out with a couple of hundred, maybe this year, maybe a thousand next year. And you start doing it. How long did it take Tesla to get to a million units? Uh, so it wrote from Roadster to a million, mm -hmm. um, this, what, 13 years, 14 years, yeah. something I, like that. I don't think it'll take that long. I honestly think it's going to be battery constrained again. <laughs> you know, even though it'll use a lot less batteries, it just, it looks like this is aluminum or possibly stainless steel, nothing mm -hmm. super complex, you know, no space age materials. So all of it should be, once they figure out how to manufacture it, that should go pretty quickly. Um, so a lot of it'll be batteries. Yeah, it's it, probably take the Tesla ramp up and factor of two on it. Okay. Because it is much simpler. There's, there's no doubt about it. Once they have cracked the code, they will be able to crank these things out so fast. And not only will one factory, be, they'll be able to have factories all over the planet doing this. It's not going to be like setting up a gigafactory. And I don't see any really super complex manufacturing component you need like a gigapress. Mm. And, and for a long time, you're not sending these out to the wild. They're in the factory. So if something yeah. goes wrong yeah. with them, yeah. you can fix them there. So, but, you don't have to really yeah, worry about what they look like. So if, if they're imperfect and have pan panel gaps or someone said shoulder gaps, it really doesn't <laughs> matter. Uh, yeah. You know, they can put them to work even if they don't look like a perfect Tesla bot. Um, I think there's some things where it's not as limited. So yeah, I'm, I'm real curious to see where this goes. Um, it, it'll probably be self-limiting. They would be able to crank them out at a really high volume in just a couple of years. 
It's just a question whether they want to, whether the demand is there and whether they've decided it's mature enough. Yeah. So in that case, do you think it'll be software limited? That's interesting. Um, I mean, all of this is predicated on the fact that the software gets good enough that the robot can do useful tasks, right? If all it can do is stand there, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's no. you know yeah. you're going to make a few and it'll be yeah. interesting. But um, so we, so we, I think we have full self driving, like the actual capability to do, like let's say level four, and Tesla bot are really lock are in lockstep. Mm. That like, if you solve one of those, the other one is going to be solved, and then it just comes down to how fast they can crank them out. Right. Right. They. They, they solved the Model 3 before they solved FSD. And maybe with the Tesla bot, they solved the mechanics of what it should be first, right. way before they get the software. And then it's just a question mm -hmm. that each Tesla bot keeps on getting better and better. And right. maybe there's going to be you know, version two. Of, there's definitely going to be like a couple of prototypes that they go through. But that yeah. will probably happen in a very short uh, time frame. And I think by 2025, you're probably starting to see them being very serious about it. And, and Farzad, I think, um, uh, I, I mean, certainly hardware four. So hardware three is what's in Tesla's right now, the, the, the full self-driving hardware. Hardware four is definitely going to be the basis for Optimus, but it is quite possible also that they might skip right over to hardware five. So, you know, they may try to get the maximum amount of compute power for the minimum amount of energy because batteries are going to be an issue for this because it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't sit there and run a, a 100 or 200 watt, you know, computer that's just constantly drawing that kind of power for it to operate. So, so the lower power they can go, the better. Interesting. Bradford, go ahead. I, I think one risk is maybe Tesla tries to um, bite off too much at first. So, like, I, I really hope they limit to the factory, um, limit to that type of setting and not try and you know, make it super complicated at first. Um, so I, I think there's some risks in the approach. Uh, so provided, and I'm not saying what I'm suggesting is the right approach, but, um, you know, provided they go down the right path, uh, starting right out, it could happen and ramp, you know, faster than we think. And there's a lot of manufacturing jobs that are needed out there. Yeah, uh, you're gonna really disappoint yeah. Warren Redlick, though. He really, really wants one. So I'm just <laughs> telling you that he's gonna be very unhappy to hear that. <laughs> it's gonna come. It just takes a little time to mature. There was a funny question earlier. Uh, Sanju Bajaj asked it. It's like, okay, so let's say the robot's really good and makes life like way better for humanity. Um, one reason why people have a lot of babies is to take care of for someone to take care of them late in life. So like indirectly would um, a, a successful humanoid robot cause a lower reproduction rate. And um, I, I think it's, I think it's possible. Um, there's a lot of cultures where you know, people, you know, do have more children so that there's someone to take care of for them late in life. Yeah, but it, it, it could have the opposite effect. That a lot it's of people are putting so off and having kids just because they they can't afford it or that they get their career started and everything else. And and it may turn around the other way that suddenly, wow, we actually can have kids and we can be there with our kids. Ooh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, that that's where my head goes. That's where my head goes as long as we have that future where that couple has jobs. 
to like work mm-hmm. and be able to to make an income from right or which, the thing we haven't touched yeah. on which is universal basic income but I, right. I i don't know how satisfied people are going to be by that but i don't know <laughs> it, it would be nice i guess to get a paycheck every month no matter what that'd be pretty nice so i don't know yeah yeah i think that that can uh, have its whole, whole other discussion but um all right we're 90 minutes what a discussion this was the quickest <laughs> 90 minutes ever you want yeah. a guitar so i'm going to play you a little bit of guitar Okay, so yes. if you want to stick around for a couple minutes, I'm going to hook this up. Let's see what it sounds like. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves while I do this. <laughs> Should we discuss we how the Holy, Roman, the Holy Roman Empire is neither holy nor Roman? <laughs> Since we're discussing. I don't know about but, drumming. Gosh, I've been watching. Does anybody know Rick Beato? He does a music channel. Farzad, you'd probably love him if you don't know him. Uh, Rick who? Rick Beato. He has a very popular channel that I Sounds came across. familiar. Yeah. Anyway, he's just really, really good at analyzing songs and everything. It's very, very. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah, like that. the white hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's great. Yeah, yeah he's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so he's been playing guitar in the videos I've been watching. So your the bar is very high for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't expect that. Don't expect that level of uh, professionalism. Yeah. It's funny go. because we've been. Uh, so we started a band not too long ago because uh, I hadn't, you know, my career went crazy for about, I don't know, 10 years. And I hadn't picked up my guitar since then. And the one thing that uh, was really. Um, nice about sort of pursuing my passions now having the financial independence was now this thing's getting a lot more attention. You know, for the last 10 years, I haven't touched a damn thing. And I finally got the time to, to sit down and play again. So it's been super cool to get back to my, you know, musical side and, and start playing shows. We had our first show a couple of weeks ago, we were awful, but it was so fun. You know, it's one of those things where you go out there and play again, and it feels great. So uh, don't expect excellence, okay? This isn't like a virtuoso experience. Maybe we'll play a riff or two and see if you guys if you guys can guess the song. How about that? <laughs> Maybe something like that. Okay. Uh, you can hear me now, right? Yes. On yes. the microphone? Okay, mm-hmm. let's see if I can get the sounding here. One second, please. Guitar properties. I have to find that app on my phone that identifies the tune. I'm actually just thinking about Tesla bot. <laughs> I don't think it's <laughs> going to do real well without the ability to bend the last little knuckle. <laughs> it could do. It could just do chords. Uh, we can't hear you, Farzad. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it could just do. It can do uh, accompaniment um, guitar. So it'll just play basic chords. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing crazy. How about now? Uh, we can yes. hear you now, yeah. Okay, nice. By the way, I really love the comments, uh, reading the comments. Okay. There we go. Yeah? A little bit of metal. <laughs> a little bit of reverb, a little bit of echo. Yeah. Okay. Technical difficulties. One second, y'all. In all fairness, he didn't know this was going to happen, so he didn't no, prepare no, ahead no. of time to do a sound I, check or anything. <laughs> Thirty seconds before. Yeah. Wow, the uh, nice beat echo thing going on. Let's see. Uh, there we go. Uh, that should work. 
Someone had a quote I wanted to share. It's foreseeable that with the power of robots, we will create an era of extreme abundance of goods and services where everyone can live a life of abundance. That would and be pretty sweet. All learn to play the guitar. <laughs> that would mm -hmm. be nice. Have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Perhaps cool. the only scarcity that will exist in the future is for us to create ourselves as humans. And that's what Elon said uh, in the article today. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yep. <laughs> we did. We really did put Farzad on the spot here. <laughs> there we go. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Wondering what was going on. I think my master was. There we go. Okay, how's that sound coming through? Very good. Good? Yeah. Okay, Great. let's see if you know this riff. Ready? <laughs> Come on. It's very close, right next door. <laughs> Should we start singing? <laughs> Please. Sweet home, Alabama. <laughs> Sweet home. Actually, I was expecting like smoke on the water or something like that. Because that's always the oh, beginner dun, one, right? Dun, you know? dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> Are you guys Metallica fans? Do you guys know any Metallica? Sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Any, any of you guys like uh, Stranger Things? You guys know the oh, yeah. Stranger yes. Things show? Love yeah, it. Just finished up. You said Stranger Things. I thought you were going to go to running up that hill. And I was like, well, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. There's no guitar in there. <laughs> I was expecting for y'all to start singing that one. That, yeah. That's when you guys come in. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, this so may, so this may Matt week. I really enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank, yeah. You. thank you so much for coming yeah, on, everybody. You. Really appreciate the awesome. discussion. I think it's, it's one of those discussions that it makes me feel like we're on the future in the future now. Because these were things that weren't previously discussed, you know, like nobody's talking about, oh, what are bots going to do? What's automation going to do to the future? And the fact that we follow this uh, company now that's getting into that realm, it feels like the future is here now. And in about a month and a half, we're going to get right. a show and tell in how the future is going to change. So it's, it's fascinating to follow. And 
Thank you very much for joining me in this discussion. And thank you, Bradford, for yeah. really starting the discussion on Saturday with that space. Because, man, once I yeah, heard absolutely. that, I'm like, boy, we need to continue this discussion big time. So right. um, every, every single one of you is welcome back anytime. I'd love to continue this discussion cool. in the future as well. Bradford, keep hosting those spaces because they're super, super helpful. And yeah, yeah I don't know if you, you all have any last words, but I had a lot of fun. And I thought it was a very valuable discussion for me as well because I learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you all for right. that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll call it a day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Like, subscribe, share, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a professional YouTuber. Do whatever you want. All right. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> Disco.